Welcome to Stemming in Stilettos with Dr. Tasha, a podcast for and about women of color in STEM. These women are brave, beautiful, and brilliant. Their stories deserve and need to be heard. Their voice strong, their message clear, their experiences priceless. Now let's welcome this wonderful winning woman of color to the show. Hi, and welcome to Stimming in Stilettos with Dr. Tasha. And you guys, you guys are going to get so sick of me saying that, you know, I have the best guests, but I do have the best guests. So let's just keep it moving there. Um, but my guest today, and I met maybe about two weeks ago, I want to say, and it was like we had known each other for a really long time. Like, I, I feel like, you know, she should be in my sister friend circle. I call them my 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 board of directors. I think she might have, like, you know, cemented herself as a seat with a seat on, the, on my personal board of directors because it was one of the most amazing conversations I've ever had with another woman as it relates to our similarities. And even in our differences, it, there was such synergy around it that um, I left there. Like you made my whole day that day after our conversation. I think I told you that when we we spoke, but like, I really want you to know, um, <laughs> know that. So I want to, I think our guest today is, uh, is Angelica um, Agondo. And I probably jacked that up. I, that, I <laughs> Even after we talked about it, but Angie Ogando is our guest today. <laughs> um, and I just, it was such a lovely conversation um and it it just touched me in a way that was meaningful and, and impactful like long term like i've thought back on that conversation since we've had it and every time i think back on it i just smile a little bit like i get a little bit more inspired and you did that oh thank you you're so <laughs> sweet <laughs> true um, I mean, it's true. I, I like to give credit where credit is due, and um, you did that. So if I don't know if that was, you know, your purpose for that day, but you did that. <laughs> well, we all have purpose, Dr. Natasha. I I truly believe that there are no coincidences. I'm a woman of faith. There are only God incidences. And every time we meet somebody, if we don't leave an impression of ourselves on those people, then we do didn't do our job because there's purpose in every connection that we have with people. And so I want you to know that all those amazing things that you see in me is a projection of what already exists in you. Oh, I got <laughs> I got goosebumps. I got goosebumps. <laughs> You're so sweet. And by the way, you can call me whatever you want. I don't have an ego. I don't care how people pronounce my name. <laughs> um. Well, yeah. I mean, I will... I'm going to call you by, you know, your name. I'm going to get it right um, because it, it matters. You know, what you know, as well as I know, it's like people have a tendency to sort of do it and then sort of brush it off like it's not important. Mm -hmm. But everybody likes to be called by their name, like, you know, regardless of how it's spelled or what it looks like, your name is your name and it matters. So 
Your name is your name and it does matter. And I'll tell you this. I always say I don't have an ego. I don't mind help, you know, however people call me because it's with the intention that you're saying my name. And so I know that when people mess up my name, um, it's not on purpose. It's it's because they it's a it's a Spanish name. So my name is Angelica Ogando. And now Ogando is um is a name is a last name that has its roots in Africa. I'm a proud Afro-Latina, so we'll begin there. I am a very proud Afro-Latina and I accept every part of me, every part of my DNA and what it is comprised of. And so uh you're absolutely correct. So just so everybody knows, my name Angelica Angelica is actually messenger of God. People always think that it's angel, but it's actually messenger of God. Wow, love that. And it like, you know, so I've gone through this iteration with so many people of in my name and it's not my name is really simple once you get people to understand it you know it's Natasha um and it's not spelled like you would normally see Natasha spelled Mm -hmm. but I always tell people you know that just because it's not spelled the way you think it should be spelled doesn't mean that it's said any differently like the meaning is still the same Okay. Um, and I had this conversation. My daughter's name is Michael. Oh, really? I love it. And it's, yeah, it's spelled M-Y-C-H-A-L. She's going to hate that I called her out on this podcast. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just going to say, um, and, you know, which means angel, angel of God. And, um, and so I remember her coming to us. Well, she was really young, maybe about six or seven, saying that people were making fun of her, calling her a boy, because of course, Michael is pro- predominantly a boy's name. Mm-hmm. Um, and, she, and so I said to her, she was like, mom, I'm not like, I, they just keep calling me a boy. And I, and I just looked at her point blank and said, are you a boy? And she said, no. And I said, so let's deduce from that, that <laughs> since you are not a boy, but your name is Michael, that Michael is not a boy's name. And so she was perfectly fine after that. Like never had another issue out of her about her name, you know. And once we told her what her name meant, she was definitely like, oh, okay, I, I got this, right? <laughs> so um, I was told a long time ago, I had this job. Um, and y'all, this is not even what we're supposed to be talking about. We'll get there. <laughs> but, but I had this job um, when I was in college and... Um, it was an after school program with these little kids, and we had this um, a lady come, um, and she was teaching the kids to say, um, you know, to say my. Um, she she taught them to say I am, and then their name, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to my name is, uh, and it's so it is stuck with me so much because it made so much sense. It's like we are our names. It, right. it does matter, right? And so when you say my name is, it's almost like your name is outside of yourself mm. when you are your name. Your name is you. It's mm. a part of your identity, right? Mm. You know, so, and I was like, that's so true. Cause then I think about, you know, all of the Aprils I know or all of the, the Angies I know. So I can put, I put that person with yeah. that name in, you know, it's, I see that person in my mind and I'm reminded of how that person, you know, has treated me, what our relationship is, 
and mm-hmm. I can and I associate the name with that individual. So mm-hmm. these are your name in that sense. I love, I love that connection that you made. Funny enough, I own, I, I co-founded a, a company. It's called Yoshida Academy. You can see my logo up there. <laughs> and one of the things that we do in Academy is that we help individuals through coaching who are trying to step into executive level roles, directorships, or are leaving corporate altogether and are starting their own companies. And one of the things that we walk them through when they go through coaching with us is called finding your ikigai. And ikigai is your purpose. It's that moment of bliss that every day when you get up, you say, ah, oh my goodness, today I lived with purpose. So I'll tell you, my purpose is to change one life 365 days a year. And my business partner and I, we do an amazing job with this because we truly are changing lives every day. One of the things that we teach people through their journey and finding their ikigai is all about alignment. And accepting your name, right, saying it proudly is part of that alignment. You'd be so surprised how some people, when they say their name, their body language, because we teach about body language, we teach people also, another thing we do is we teach people to become amazing public speakers, is even how are you saying your name? Because when people say, oof, there's something off about that person, Mm. begins with even how you're introducing yourself. So yes, your name is powerful. It has purpose. Are you stepping into that purpose? I'll tell you this. I used to be Catholic many moons ago. Then I became a born again Christian. And one of the things in in the church and my parents, oh my goodness, they're gonna, they're probably gonna listen to this. One of the things that, that they're always harping on people about, especially those who are going to baptize their children, is be careful with the name that you're gonna give your kids because your kids are gonna live up to that name. So living up to a name, it's all about alignment, Dr. Natasha. Yep. Are you living up to your name? Yeah. a messenger of God, because it doesn't matter where I go. I'm always praising God first. It doesn't matter whether I'm in a corporate environment, in a spiritual environment, I'm going to praise God first. And people know this about me. Love. I I love. And, and I think, yes, yes to, to all of that. It's just, like I said, that made such an impression on me that, um, I, I incorporate that. So normally when people, you know, say, hey, what, what is your name? I usually say I am, you know, Dr. Natasha Anderson and, you know, then launch into whatever else it is I'm going to say because I am my name. And um, you have to, it's almost, I want to say you, I want you to wear it proudly, mm-hmm. um, but not in a, I want to say ego-ish kind of way, mm-hmm. you know? Um, because it's you. So, um, so we will use this as a segue into like, cause I want to talk all the way up to how we got to Yoshida Academy. But (laughs) as we, as we do with every guest on the show, um, please tell us your, your STEM story. Oof, my STEM story. It all begins with once upon a time. I bet. (laughs) (laughs) It begins with once upon a time. So since I was little, I 
always said I was going to be a civil engineer. So I came to the United States when I was six years old. I was born in Dominican Republic. I started off our conversation telling you that I am a proud Afro-Latina. I hail from the beautiful country of Dominican Republic. Let me tell you, we are the best people in the world, the sweetest and the kindest, just so everybody knows. <laughs> That's what we're claiming. And I came here when I was six. And I'll tell you this, that there was one person that was extremely influential with me deciding to want to be a civil engineer. And this is my mother's youngest brother. So I have the story like most um, immigrants who come here. My parents came here first. They received their residency to come here. My twin sister and I, and two of my oldest sisters. So we are six women in my family. We're six girls. And Four of us were left in the Dominican Republic and my parents came here with the two oldest. And of course, my parents um, my parents were distraught having to, to leave us over there. We were eight months old when my parents left us, by the way. Wow. I didn't see my parents again until I was six years old. It took six years for us to be reunited with our parents again. And so the person who I recall when I was young, that was was always around and whom um, I looked up to the most was this uncle. So he's a very, he's he's a, a top official in Dominican Republic in the engineering field it's, itself. And he, he works with the government and uh, he's always been my role model. So since I was little, I always said, I'm going to be a civil engineer like my uncle. Of course, I come to the States. I did extremely well in school. I even went to what is called a magnet high school that is strictly focused on um, the sciences because my track was to become an engineer. Mm -hmm. I was lucky enough to start working in civil engineering before I even got to college. I was part of a program called Inroads. And Inroads, you're familiar with Inroads? Yeah. And so Inroads is this program for um for kids who who are in in a certain um field like focused on yeah. And what they do is that they help you to uh, land an internship before even starting right uh, yep. your studies. And I was lucky enough to be part of that program. And so I was already in the engineering in the engineering world, which I loved. I ended up going to the New Jersey Institute of Technology, which is in Newark, New Jersey. I was raised in Newark, New Jersey. Proud of coming from Newark, New Jersey. Let me tell you. And so I ended up going to school there. I always tell people that NJIT was not my first choice. I actually wanted to go to MIT mm -hmm. and I didn't get to MIT. And uh, so the first time I went to NJIT, it wasn't my first choice. But the second time I went back, because I'm a double alum, I have my master's from NJIT. It was my only choice because I'm proud of being a Highlander. Let me tell you, I'm proud of being an NJIT graduate. And so... Um, my career started there. I ended up working in, in several companies, several engineering focused firms after I graduated the, the university. But I'll tell you this, I didn't stay in engineering. Yeah. I was one, the year I graduated from NJIT, I'll tell you, I was one of two females who graduated that year, that semester, because it was, it was, 
in, in the whole in the whole engineering class no in the yeah for the civil for the wow. civil it was wow. just two females and so the university has done an amazing incredible job now of having more females <laughs> inside of the of that particular uh study and so i was one of two females who graduated from the civil engineering department that year mm-hmm. and every internship that I recall every job that I was in, I was one of maybe two or three women in my department. Yeah. Yeah. The thing about being one of two, one of three, is that I was always the token. Mm -hmm. I was always the only Black person, Black Latina. Yeah. And... Usually in the group that I was in, I was usually the only woman. And so there could be three women, right, in, in, in the department, but only one in each of the areas. Right, because they couldn't afford to have two of you there. Right. And so that was very difficult for me because I experienced a lot of, I, I experienced a lot of macho attitude within the field itself. I experienced a lot of racism. I'll tell you this because I literally had everything against me. I was black. I was a woman. I look extremely young. People yeah. did not believe my age. And um, I was Latina. Yeah. I oh, yeah. You checked all the boxes, like all of them. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Every single box that you could check off, I was checking every single one of these boxes off. And so I was experiencing um I was experiencing a lot of racism within the field itself. And you know that takes a toll on you. Yeah. It really does take a toll on you mentally when you're the only one up and you don't have someone to speak to. Back when I was working in the engineering world, um you didn't you don't notice until you go through something that it really is a small world everybody knows everybody yeah and so i'll tell you this the best thing that happened to me the best thing that happened to me uh, i i i speak about this publicly was getting fired from my last job and it was the best thing that could have happened to me i'll tell you why i was a good engineer I was a very good engineer and I did great in every company I was in, but in the last company that, that I had worked for, and, and I won't say specifically, specifically where it was or name anybody out, but in this particular company, I was only one of two women engineers in the company itself. It was me and another Latina and the boss that I had, oh my goodness, this guy, he literally was my my tyrant he came to teach me many many lessons wow so people come into our lives for a reason and and i wholeheartedly believe this and you will have masters who come to teach you something about you yeah and every experience that you go through it, it doesn't happen to you it happens through you Ooh. and the Things that happen through you literally are the foundation of the things that are going to come next. And and I and I'm gonna put a pause for the cause here. I'm gonna tell you why. 
because this encounter with this particular master led me to where I am today wow. and to things that I do today. And so this particular person, what stands out the most is that I used to be so afraid to get up and go to work. I'm going to tell you this because in within me, I already knew that he was going to yell at me for something, that something that I was working on was incorrect. He was always marking up every single plan that I did. It always had red marks all over the place. And he didn't know how to give me feedback without yelling at me. Like he would literally be at the top of his lungs yelling at me. And I had a lot of anxiety. Yeah. When I think about it now, I had a, a lot of anxiety about going to work, about having to deal with this particular boss. And, you know, it didn't matter what I did. This man always found a reason to belittle me, to put me down. And one of the things that I remember that he used to tell me was, I don't pay you to think at work. I pay you to bring me my coffee. What? And I told the owner of the company about this and he did nothing. He told me he didn't pay me to think. He paid me to bring him coffee. And I remember one day the um, executive assistant that we had, she was out. She was sick for some reason or the other. And I want to tell you this. The executive assistant was a white young lady and she had issues with him as well. And she brought up issues about, you know, sexual harassment against this guy at the job. She, but nothing was done. Yeah. Yeah. I was charged with answering the phones that day. I remember, I remember this so clearly. I was, you know, I was told you're going to have to answer the phone because she's not here. So sure, not a problem. My cubicle was directly in front of his office. My, my boss, the guy who was in charge of me, my manager. I remember I answered the phone. I hang up. It was a client. I hang up and he calls me into his office and, you know, already I'm like, yep, you already own like, oh, Lord, what, I is said, what did I do now? Because I literally just got in here and all I did was answer a phone call. Right. I get up, I go to his office and he says, you know, I was listening to your conversation that you were having right now with your, with, 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 the person who was on the phone and I'm like, oh my goodness, what did I do wrong? And I, and I asked him, I said, what did I do wrong? What did I say that is so bad? And he said, you know what? I don't want you answering the phones anymore. I'm going to do it. And I said, why? What did I do? Because in my head, I was extremely professional answering the phone. I don't recall saying anything that would, you know, that would, would, Put the company this. in jeopardy. Right, right. He says, well, you know what my problem with you is? You're too colloquial on the phone. Ah, uh, got it. And I said, okay, colloquial. Mm -hmm. I said, so are you saying that I'm, that, that, that I'm ghetto? Is it my accent? What is it that is making you believe that the way I answer the phone is too colloquial and I'm not professional enough to answer the phone. And you know what he told me? 
I, I'm telling you right now, I'm never going to forget this. He said, you know, your accent with just how, um, he said, I was too overly friendly on the phone that I was using. What did he say? It was like, I was using almost a language that was, um, in his opinion, that was too friendly with the clients and wasn't professional in his eyes. Mind wow. you. All I did was answer with a greeting yeah. and answer a question that the client had. I, I said nothing else. And I was being extremely kind and sweet to the person on the other line. But according to him, his issue with me was I was Latina. He had a problem yeah. with my accent. Yeah. For, him, for him, my accent was too strong. Mind you, the way that I'm talking to you now is, is exactly, exactly the same. To him. <laughs> yes. I was raised in the United States of America. I came here when I was six years old. Six, right. I told him that I could not understand what part of my accent he had an issue with. Because you know what, Dr. Natasha, it's not your accent. It's no. your diction. Mm. Now, if you're not understanding and I'm not articulating something properly, then I would understand. Right. Right. Because please tell me, like, you know, you want to, you want to get it right and be as professional as you can be, but you know, that wasn't what it right. was. And I always experienced microaggressions at oh, work yeah. because I, I would always get asked the question, oh, so you lived in Newark, right? And I'm like, yeah, I did. And Newark, are you are you in New Jersey, Dr. and Sasha? Uh, um, have I been to New Jersey? Yes. Okay. So Newark, New Jersey at I've one. Been to Newark. <laughs> for those of you who are listening to this podcast, Newark, New Jersey at one point in time was considered like one of the most dangerous cities yes, in the United States. The, what was it called? The murder capital? The, yes. At one point it was. The yep. murder capital yep. of the U.S., imagine. And there is this belief that nothing good comes out of Newark. Yeah, because I've had people say this to me. Nothing good comes out of Newark. Mm -hmm. I want you to know there's a lot of amazing, incredible people in Newark, New Jersey. And where you come from does not at all, does not define who you are correct 100 who you I, are i i can you say that again for the audience so that they can hear it but then i need i need my audience to pass that along to your sons daughters nieces nephews friends children friends and family because i think that that is so important and so key a lot of people sort of internalize that so you saying that out loud is really important. Yeah. Where you come from does not define who you are. Yeah. Who you are is determined by you and the beliefs that you have about you. It has nothing to do with your environment. Because I know a lot of incredible people who have done amazing things in their lives that come from the poorest places that you can imagine and who they are 
is all about what they believe about themselves. Yes. And I think that there is this um there is this rhetoric that is going around that because you come from humble beginnings that you cannot do anything with your life that you will never amount to anything. I have a friend his name is Raphael Gordon and he has this line he says um he says you where you where you are is not your final destination. I hope I'm not murdering this at oh, all. I love this. Where you are is not your final destination. Yeah. Like just because you were born somewhere doesn't mean that you are destined to die there and live there for the rest of your life. You have the right to get yourself out of those places and you the know, condition that you are in. I think it's it's um it's so funny. So I was listening to um Ursula Burns. Um I, I somebody has had a snippet. I don't even know if it was on TikTok or Instagram or something, but I just love her, right? I just love Ursula Burns is um she was the she worked at Xerox for a really long time. She was the CEO for a while. Um, first black woman to ever hold that position um in a Fortune 500 company. Um, just mm -hmm. so people know who she is. Um, but she said something very similar the other day in that, you know, she grew up in these really, um, you know, suspect circumstances. And she, and, it, and she knew that the, her, the expectations for her life weren't necessarily high. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so, um, but she wanted something different for herself. So she went out and got it. Right. Whatever determination, that determination that she had for her own self far outweighed any external um, expectations that were placed on her because, you know, look at where she ended up. Right. And she did she did the work. You know, she put in the time. She met right. the right, you know, the people and the networking and the schools and the and she did the thing. But there had to be that internal stimuli that was there because mm -hmm. she could have lived up to those expectations that other people placed on you, but you know, in inside mm -hmm. what it is you are capable of. And so it goes back to what you were saying is like, you can't let your, where you're from or any other external stimuli tell you who and dictate who it is you're going to be, what it is you're going to do, what your life is going to be. Like you get to decide. That's well, right. Actually, Actually, God gets to decide. You just need to follow the plan. But, you know, once you get on the same page with, with our creator and he just starts opening doors, right? So, and none of that has anything to do with where you started. That's right. Listen, faith without action does not work. Does not work. Absolutely. I want, I want you to know something. Yesterday, I have a coach. <clears throat> And yesterday I had a coaching session with him and we were working through some things that, that I have been struggling with because as a coach, I still struggle with some, some beliefs that I have, some, some limiting beliefs. And some of these beliefs we pick up from other people. People are always going to try and label us. Right. And this is what we do. Sometimes it's like the post-its. We start taking these, these post-it labels and we start putting them on us. And, and, and it's almost like we, we become a receptacle 
aka a a trash can for other people's projections of themselves onto us because people are constantly projecting onto us. Now, you have control over what you want to keep. Mm. I give people their projections back because that does not belong to me. Hello, that belongs to you. (laughs) So this is what Speak a word. (laughs) Listen, this is what happens. Everything starts up here in your mind. You create your reality. What you want to see is what you are going to manifest. And what you believe is what you're going to see in the natural, right? Because if you are a person, a spiritual being, and you believe in the supernatural, everything starts up here because faith begins in here. It begins in the mind. You create it. And so what you believe about yourself is powerful because you're literally going to take action. Everything that you do, by the way, every single thing that you do is action-based You're going to put into action the things that you created here. It's your plan. It's your master plan. Yeah. And you're going to manifest those things. So going back to your story, at that point in your career, was there, had there been a seed planted that, you know, again, this is, you know, that job was not going to be your final destination. Oh, yeah. That you had, you had sort of, at some point, you had made a decision that like, okay, this ain't it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Since I was young, I was always a leader. Mm -hmm. I was involved in multiple organizations within school that you can think of. I was always leading something, the environmental group, um, the, the, I was in church. I was youth group president of two different churches I was always leading. I was always the person like in the front. I'll tell you this. I'm the biggest introvert at home, but I am the biggest extrovert socially. Socially, you'll find me doing things, leading, um, speaking up for people. That was always something that I was that I was always stepping into. As afraid as I was, I was always pushing myself to do more, to be more. Um, I was always the person that people were coming up to to ask for advice. It's the weirdest thing. They were always coming up to me to ask for advice. And so I would just say what I thought. And in, I'll tell you this, in every company that I was in, I was always usually sent outside to, to go to a project, mm-hmm. to um, to inspect, to do this, to do that, the other. And my bosses would always find me huddled in the middle of a group with the construction workers around giving advice. And yeah. my last boss, this is why I tell you, was that the best thing that could have happened to me was being fired. Because he always used to tell me, you know, Angie, I think you're just in the wrong field. You should be, you know, maybe a psychologist, a therapist, because every time we come out here, you're always, you know, in a group giving people advice instead of inspecting something. <laughs> right. So you're, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I'll tell you this. I hated sitting behind a desk the whole time. And he was absolutely correct. The thing was that I'm Latina and I'm Dominican. 
And there was a part of me that wanted so desperately, so desperately to live up to this expectation, specifically that my mother had of me. My mother wanted me to be like my uncle. When I think back to it, I think I did the engineering more so that my mom could be proud of me than anything else. Because for me, it's important that my parents are proud of me. My sisters and I, we, we, you know, they worked so hard to come to the U.S. and give us a better life. And all we wanted to do was make them proud. And that was what I wanted to do. So there was a part of me that was struggling with letting go of that title because it's all about the title. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in my house, you're either an engineer, a doctor, or a lawyer. And so I decided to be an engineer because I was really good at math and I was really good in the sciences. Mm-hmm. There was a part of me that wanted my parents to be so proud of me, but I knew that I wasn't meant to stay in that. I just didn't know what specifically it was going to be. When I say I got fired was the best thing happening to me because I was finally able to almost like give myself permission to take a break, to take a step back from from it all and say, okay, what do I really want to do? So when I left this company, I, I was already seeing someone who I ended up marrying. This person had a company and it was in the financial services uh, field. He asked me to basically take over a role within the company itself. We were already getting married. So of course, being the good wife that I wanted to be, I said, yes, I'm going to do it. Here's my opportunity of leaving engineering altogether. You know, now, now here's my way out, right? I was a good engineer. I'm going to tell you, I was a good engineer. I could have found another job, but I knew that's not what I was meant to do. So here's my out. I'm going to step into the financial service world. I The role that I took over was um, chief operating officer of uh, my my ex's company because I'm no longer married. I'm divorced. And so here I am, I'm stepping into this role and I decide I'm going to go back to school. I don't know anything about business. You know, the only way that I can, I can really do this job well, I remember telling him is if I go back to school. So I decided to get my MBA and my MBA really helped me to break away from the the process mindset that I had because engineering, the scientific, it's all process-based, it's formula-based. Everything, you know, everything has a formula. I can find the answer. Business is not like that at all. Nope. (laughs) What I discovered in the process was that I was really good at creating training programs Mm. because one of the things that I was doing in my role was helping to create training programs in English and in Spanish. I was really good at, these are the things that I started to realize that I was really good at because this role gave me an opportunity to discover skill sets, untapped skill sets that I had that I didn't even know I was good at. I was really good at coaching. I already knew that I was kind of counseling people in my engineering field, you know, but now I had an opportunity to coach. I was really good at coaching. Then I was, I realized I was really good at leading. I said, there's something here. I don't know what it is, but there's something here. Yeah. The marriage doesn't work out. I leave the marriage altogether. 
And here I am in another point of transition in my life. Like, mm-hmm. oh my God, what the heck am I going to do? What How am I going to survive? Mm-hmm. What am I going to do for a living? Now I have to figure things out on my own. And so I decide to do the only thing that I possibly could do in that time. I said, you know what I was really, really interested in and I knew I was good at was coaching. So I go, I get my certification, I get certified as a neurolinguistic programming coach and trainer. And I launched my own company. It was called The Enriched Mind because I wanted to help people you know, become better at their jobs and figure out what they wanted to do. But I'm going to tell you this, when I launched my own company, even though I, I, I started with the coaching, there was a part of me that was being called to specifically help women, specifically the BIPOC women who had gone through the same things that I had gone through. Hence why I told you, you know, a few minutes ago, that that encounter with that boss was literally the catalyst that led to what I'm doing today. Love. This was my journey, the start of my journey into the diversity, equity, and inclusion arena. Oof. Because what I didn't realize at the time was that there were women who were in STEM, just like me, who were leaving STEM altogether because of what they had experienced. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm just gonna say to you now, and I know you know you you know this, but but we need you um, because I've even though there are there are, there's been improvement in getting women into STEM, which I know you know, um, mm-hmm. you know the problem still exists because the culture and the environment has not changed. Mm-hmm. So we have more people going into an environment that A, wasn't set up for their success and we're sending them in with no training at all. Like they're going in blind. Yes. And I'm like, how unfair is this process? And we just keep sending them, you know, we keep sending them in. Yes, we do. And here's the thing, <clears throat> that there is this, um, there's this belief that we are on a ship all on our own and that there is no community, that we should be the only ones. And this is just not true. Not true. This is just not true. And there is this belief that women don't help other women, which is not true. Correct. We have to, we have to break away from those limiting mindsets, those, those paradigms. Like we literally have to do a shift. I want all of you who are listening to this to know that you are not alone. You're not the only one that has gone through this. There are other women who are ready to help you to break away from this, that are ready to teach you how to step up, how to speak up, and how to fight for yourself. Because I think one of the things when I think back to my personal experience, I was so young. I just turned 43. I was 22 
23 years old. And I was so afraid. I was afraid to speak up because in my mind, I knew that that particular field, everybody knew everybody. Everybody knows everybody, the bosses in this company and that company. And I was made to believe that I would be blacklisted and that I would not find another job. Yep. Yeah. This sounds so familiar. I think that must be a familiar trope that is um, maybe has worked in the past. Um, and, and I agree with you 100% about, especially if you're walking out of a college classroom into engineering or technology or science, right? You don't know what you, you don't know what you don't know. So you're walking in and you are almost like you're under the impression that these people are here to, you know, help you, right? You're going to start this career. You're going to learn some things from folks. Um, but you are, or I'll just say for myself, I was, I was wholeheartedly unprepared to deal with the harsh realities of being in a space with folks who who were not shy about letting you know that you did not belong there. Yes. And so you are walking into what we now understand is almost like a hostile work environment Mm -hmm. and you're trying to produce and do work. You know, it's like, it sounds crazy now. Yeah. But... That was what it was like every day. It's like walking through mud and there's no one to help you. And you're, you know, and you're weighted down. And then walking out the net, you know, you're walking out of the mud to go home and then walking back in the net. It's like, it was this crazy thing where it's like, okay. And so my, my whole objective with A, with this podcast, but also with the work that I do um, with you know partners such as yourself, it's just hey, we have to help people understand this is the landscape. While mm-hmm. we do the other side work, where we're working with corporations to say, hey, you guys got to change your environment. You can't say you want women and people of color, mm-hmm. um, or people of color that are women, you know, whatever that is, and then keep the environment the same because we are telling you now, it doesn't work. That's right. That's right. It doesn't work. And this is the work that I do now. The In the diversity, equity, and inclusion space with Yoshida Academy, what we do is that we're going into these corporations, organizations, universities, and we're helping them to re-strategize their DEI. Yeah. What does this look like? What does it mean to your, your diverse uh, population within your corporation? Like, what what are people experiencing? Because one of the things that is near and dear to me has to do with what does the work environment look like and feel like? Because you're absolutely correct. 20 plus years ago, I didn't know that it was a hostile environment. I didn't understand that what I was experiencing from my male um, counterparts, my male managers, my male bosses were microaggressions. Right. I didn't realize that. I didn't I didn't understand that when people were, you know, talking about my accent, even about my hair, you know, it's acceptable now for me to show up looking the way that I do with my natural hair, but there was a point where I was using, you know, I I was coming to work with my hair straight. Right. Because curly hair was unprofessional. Right. 
You know, we're living in different times. The younger generation, and I'm so proud of them. They're stepping up and they're speaking up and they're saying, no, you're not going to, you are not going to tell me that how I'm showing up fully is unprofessional because I am being authentically me. Right. Right. I love that. I mean, it's just, there's just so much I could, we could talk to, talk about in, in how much change has happened, but also in how much more work we should do or we, we are doing because Mm -hmm. there's still work to be done. Like there's, there's just work to be done. Completely, completely. I'll say this. One of the things that I am doing and I am lucky enough to be part of is I was asked to sit on the board at NJIT. They created a a board called the Hispanic and Latinx Leadership Council. This is how I give back to students who look like me, who speak like me. I am on this board because the university itself is trying to become a Hispanic-serving institution. And when when we think about Hispanic-serving, becoming an HSI, NJIT itself, they don't just want to enroll Latino students. They want to truly be serving in the sense that they want to address the issues of the Latino student. Mm -hmm. They want to have more professors who are Latino addressing the issues of the Latino student, right? Because one of the things that I experienced at the university itself, you know, when I was going through, through my studies is I didn't see any professors that looked like me. I didn't have not one Latino professor at my university. Yep. I didn't have one. I didn't have one that I can talk to about what I was going through. Mm-hmm. I didn't have one that was a mentor that I could, you know, go to to talk about, hey, I'm getting into this field. What should I be thinking about? You know, what are the things that 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 I'm going to be exposed to that I that I should be aware of? I didn't have that. And so the university is doing a good job. But wherever I go, I'm still STEM first. I tell people I'm an engineer first. It doesn't matter what my trajectory looks like. I'm an engineer first and I love engineering. I'm still amazed when I look at engineering marvels. I always say, you know, when I go through the Brooklyn Bridge, I'm still like, oh my God, that's so amazing. (laughs) You know, because first, you never stop being an engineer. You never stop being an engineer. That's so true. I always get asked the question, well, I don't understand. How do you go from engineering to financial services to now doing coaching and DEI? And I always say, nothing is ever lost. Everything we do in our life is interconnected, mm-hmm. especially when, when you are a believer. And so I had to go and study to become a civil engineer because I needed to understand how to create blueprints. Mm-hmm. What I do now is I create blueprints for companies, organizations, and individuals who are in a point of transition and don't know how to get from point A to point B. And wow. that is what I am extremely good at because that's what I understand. Oof. Y'all, did I tell you she was good? <laughs> Didn't I tell y'all she was good? You're too good. Oh my gosh. I I love that. And it's so true. It's just, 
I mean, I think back on being a mechanical engineer and working in all of the spaces that I work in and, and sort of coming to understand processes, right? Mm -hmm. Like you were saying earlier and, and then translating that into what I do now, I'm like, yo, I see the transition, right? I see how what I learned then as a mechanical engineer is, is completely um, applicable to what I do now, right? Because I'm always you know, doing a lot of project management, but like not in in any construction management engineering space, and and do and developing programming and um, projects. And this is sort of like, yeah, there's a process to it all. And so mm -hmm. it's because I have that mindset, that engineering mindset of even the engineering design process, like being able to take those those two processes and having work them out in real time. I can now take those same things, put them, you know, use them in a different industry mm -hmm. for, for the benefit of myself and others. So nothing is ever lost, like you were saying. It's just knowing how to translate and apply. Right. Those are your transferable skills. And people don't understand, well, how can I take these things that I know, right, and apply them to the next, to the next um career, the next thing that I'm going to do, those are your transferable skills. But how do I transfer those skills? What does it look like in my next position? And so I've been very good at figuring that out. I'll yeah. tell you this. <clears throat> so I have Yoshida Academy. I told you, I, I, I have stepped into this role of where now I'm doing diversity, equity, and inclusion, and I'm specifically helping women. We help everyone. Just so you know, this is not a women-focused company. We help absolutely everyone. But one of the things that I'm passionate about is helping women who went through the same, the same um, situation that I did, right? Helping them step into confidently into their purpose, knowing who they are. Yeah, I have a second company and it's called Warrior Queen Cosmetics, which I co-founded with my twin sister. And just so you know, nothing is ever lost through Warrior Queen Cosmetics. What we do specifically is that we help to share stories through the makeup itself of women whom we consider to be warrior queens in their own right. Because we have noticed that there is not an educational component to the beauty industry where women are finding inspiration and motivation of stories of other women who have made it happen for themselves. Oof. Okay, so you know we're going to have to do a part two, right? <laughs> I just <laughs> want to put that out there. So... Um, Angie, we have to do a part. We have got to do a part two because we literally need to talk about just that thing mm -hmm. um, that you just dropped on me. Um, but I also um, want to let my audience know that, A, um, I know that you guys are enjoying this conversation, that you're com coming away with nuggets. Um, so there will indeed, I'm calling it and, and me and Angie will work it out. There'll be a part two to this. Um, but I want to ask this last question for this episode. Mm -hmm. um, and I I can't, I'm going to tell you now, I'm already looking forward to the answer to this one. <laughs> um, and it is the question that we ask every guest on the show. 
Mm-hmm. Um, if you could go back, you could travel back through time and talk mm-hmm. to that young, your younger self, your six-year-old self, your eight-month-old self. Mm-hmm. Um, what advice would you give her and why? That is such a fantastic question. Thank you so much for asking that. I would tell my six-year-old self that I should just step into the things that were making me happy back then Mm. and what I wanted to do originally. Because the one thing that I learned and I had a conversation with my father is that your parents are going to be proud of you no matter what you do. Yeah. My father is going to be proud of me no matter what I do, as long as I'm happy doing it and that I am the best at doing it. My father told me the other day, I don't care if you would have gone to um, to 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 sell clothes on the street, as long as you were selling and you were doing it with integrity, honestly, and you were the best at it. He said, I still would have been very proud of you. Wow. I think there was a part of me that was so afraid of what my parents would think because I didn't ask. Wow. Love that. Yeah. I love that. Um, and I, yeah, I think we don't necessarily ask. We do a lot of assu- assuming as kids. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes we don't have the verbiage around it or we're just scared. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we do, we do damage to ourselves when we don't ask. But again, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. but I'm glad that you had that full circle kind of closure moment with him. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> my dad is my hero. My dad is everything to me. And there's a part of me that even at this age, I've struggled with, am I doing the right thing? Am I good enough? Does he see me, you know, the way that that I would love for him to see me? And the one thing that I that I understand now, I'm not a parent yet. But what I understand and seeing other parents is that your kids will always be your kids and yeah. you're going to be proud of them no matter what you do. And my business partner reminded me this yesterday. Your kids are going to be your kids and they're going to be you're going to be proud of them no matter what you do until the day you die. Yeah. But we do a lot of assumption, like you said, Dr. Natasha, even at our age without asking. Yeah. I mean, you nailed that one. I mean, I'm a I'm a two time parent and I. You know, you have moments where you're you're outwardly proud, but I always tell my kid, you know, I always I always say this to my kid, I am at all times, every day of the week, your number one fan. Mm. That's it. That's my job. That's beautiful. Thank so, you so much for everything, <laughs> Dr. Natasha. It was an honor to be your guest. That's right back at you. Um so it's always lovely to talk with you. And I always walk away um, feeling uplifted. So, and that's a, that's a gift. And um, if no one has told you, thank you for using um, your gift um, today with me. So. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're so lovely. <laughs> oh, thanks. All right, you guys. So that concludes today's episode of um, Stimming and Stilettos. And as always, you guys, please. Um, Keep yourself safe until we meet again. 
thank you for listening to this episode of Stemming in Stilettos. Please check out the show notes to get additional information about today's guest or today's topic. You can find the podcast on every major podcast platform. You can find additional information about Dr. Tasha at www.drtasha.com. Thanks again, and don't forget to tune in every Tuesday for the latest episode of Stemming in Stilettos.